0: I want to I share a little bit with you. I, I tried to come up with a Christmas sermon, but it just wasn't happening. And I kept coming back. This, this continually one thought just drove me back. It's Jesus, the Lamb of God. It's really hard to separate Christmas and Easter. Did you know that? They kind of go like they're kind of in the same story. So you might think this is more an Easter sermon, but it's a Christmas story. It's all Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so there's a lot of uh, you know when we hear lamb, it, we don't hear it the same way the Jewish people would have thought. Jewish people when they hear lamb, they think sacrifice because it was such a part of their life, like everyday life. They're sacrificing. They're sacrificing lambs. But I want us to to hear this story in a way that I want it to impact you. I want it to maybe make it come alive in a little deeper way. And in Revelation five. It says that the elders and the angels and multitudes upon multitudes, thousands upon thousands, gather and they sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the lamb. And it's a story that goes from like across time and there's thousands of years. And you can see how Jesus orchestrated things like 2000 years before Christ how he put things in motion because he always wanted to redeem us, right? As soon as that fall happened in the garden, he's longing to redeem man and bring him back into that relationship that we're supposed to have in the garden. That was perfection. And so you see Jesus like masterminding, putting these things into order Thousands of years. And so I, want, I just want to go through parts of that story and see, all right, here's a picture of Jesus. Here's a picture of Jesus. Here's another shadow. That's what the Bible calls the Old Testament. Lots of places it calls it a shadow. And where there's a shadow, it's because it's, there's a real thing somewhere, right? If you see a shadow on the ground, is it real? Lannan, is a shadow real? It is. But it's saying there's something real there. Anyway, that was totally beside the point. Why don't we just pray? Lord, I ask that you would bring understanding to our minds. Even go past, bridge the cultural differences. And I ask that that we would join in and sing in. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us. Amen. So, um, my story starts... 200 years after the flood, the world is destroyed by a worldwide flood. 200 years after that, there comes a man. His name is Abraham. And it's it's a beautiful story of how God pursues somebody. Some of you might think that you're searching for God, that you're looking for him. And I think it's many times that God is pursuing you. I remember when I had that revelation, I thought I was searching for God. And then... I had an encounter with him that f- blew me away, and I realized he's looking for me. He's trying to bring me into a place of encounter, and that's exactly what God did with Abraham. He pursued him, and he said, listen, I'm going to bless you. Here's all the things I'm going to do. I'm going to make uh, generations. I'm going to bring multitudes out of you, and I'm going to make great nations, and he would make these promises to abraham that if you want to read it it's in genesis like genesis 22 is where i'm going to be reading out of but he'd make these enormous promises to him covenants with the man and it's a story of god pursuing him but in the story that i want to tell you god comes to abraham and he says listen abraham he doesn't tell him it's a test that's what the bible tells us but he says abraham I want you to take your son, the son that you and your wife have been longing for. You've been praying for this one. It's been prophesied to you that you're going to have this son and that nations are going to come out of him. I want you to take that son and I want you to go sacrifice him on a mountain that I'll show you in the land of Moriah, Moriah, Moriah. I'm just going to say it that way. And it's a three day journey to the north. And Abraham, if you read this story, it's a great story to read. If you read this story, the very next morning, and you might, like, I remember just being so, like, I can't even, like, imagine, like, how would you know that that's God? Because why would he even say, you got to realize the law wasn't given at this time. There was no law, right? It's the way that their cultures, all the culture that he was in, they would have sacrificed their children as worship to their gods. Lots of, lots of parents would have done that. They would have sacrificed their children. It shows they had loyalty to their God. So God is communicating with him in a way that he understands. But he's gonna show him that he's different at the end. But he didn't understand at the beginning. But he sets out in the morning, he sets out with two servants, a donkey, split wood and fire. And they go on a journey and they're headed north. Three days journey. And on the morning of the third day, he tells his servants, stay here. And they take the wood. And he and his son, Isaac, go along. And you've got to realize, Isaac's like 30 years old. That's what people estimate him to be. And he's not just a, a, a child that he's carrying along. He's a young man. And so they go. And as they're walking along, Isaac asks his dad, So we have here, we have the wood because he's seen sacrifices before. We have the wood, we have the fire. But Father, where is the sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, son, the Lord will provide. So they get up on the mountain and uh, there's nothing on top of this mountain. There's nothing around. It's just rocks and weeds and thickets and somehow the Lord directs Abraham to a certain location it's what he said he was going to do he directs him to a certain location and he begins to build an altar he builds these giant rocks puts them on a stack puts them on a pile and puts the wood on top and there comes a moment where he he must tell his son what the Lord said because it says he bind he bound Isaac and placed him on the altar the Bible tells us that Abraham trusted God to the point that he he believed that God could raise him from the dead if he would stake his life. Abraham doesn't hold back. He's ready to sacrifice this son he's prayed and believed for for so many years and he raises his knife and as he's ready to bring it down on his beloved son, he hears a voice from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham, he says, here I am. And the voice says, don't harm your son. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you trust me. Now I know it. You haven't held anything back from me. You have surrendered all. There's not a thing you withheld from me. And then he goes into a blessing he says listen because abraham you trusted me in this way here's what i'm going to do for you he says blessing i will bless you in multiplying i will multiply your descendants as the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore and abraham raises his eyes and he looks and in a thicket there's a ram that's caught by the horns and he takes isaac off the altar and they go over and they get the ram And they bring it over, put it on the altar, and they sacrifice the ram there. And Abraham names the place the Lord provides. The Lord provides. He called called it. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I like to look at this, that it's a prophecy. Because if you know any significance about this, this is the very, lo- well, the, the Bible doesn't tell us it's the very location. But we know from other places in the Bible that the temple is built on Mount Moriah. And I believe the God that orchestrates things thousands of years, I think he, he, he directed Abraham to this same spot where the temple was built. And we know that Jesus was crucified outside the city gates, outside of Jerusalem. And I believe God put it in a picture form, thousands of years before those events happened. So Abraham says, In the mount it shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I kind of like to think he's talking about Jesus, yet he's talking about a sheep. He didn't have to sacrifice his son there was a substitute given i think that's beautiful that's a picture of jesus that's a picture of the lamb of god that's what we're talking about there's so many names for jesus there's so many names for god last week pastor penn talked about jesus as king and i loved it he's talking about how jesus wants to rule and reign in every one of our hearts And he's the king that knocks. He won't barge in. He won't rule your life. He won't run it if you don't want him to. But if you invite him, he'll he'll cause your life. Just like some of the testimonies we heard tonight. When we invite Jesus in and say, I'm tired of running my own show. I want you to run my life. I want you to have the reins. I give you control. He can do beautiful things with somebody's life. So... God made a promise to Abraham. He says, "Blessing, I will bless you; multiplying, I will multiply you." That actually happened. Within 400 years, his descendants, out of those, out of that one man, they numbered two and a half million people. Which the Bible doesn't give us that exact number. It tells us there were 600,000 men, but for there to be 600,000 men, it's got to be some women. And there's got to be some children. So if you can estimate, people say it's about two and a half million people. But something, something big happened. They lost their freedom. They're slaves in another country with no hope. No hope of ever getting free. They don't own anything. They've given they they they're they're like hopeless. But God is at work. When they're hopeless, God is at work. And it sets us up for the second picture. Of Jesus, the second prototype, it's called the Passover. Because just before the night before Jesus or before God leads them out of Egypt, leads them out of slavery, he tells Moses this, he says, listen, go get every household, tell them to take a lamb. They need to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, something without any spots, without any blemishes in it. It's got to be perfect And you have to kill that lamb. Some of this stuff doesn't make sense to us because we're outside of it. We'll get in a couple verses where it talks about sacrifices, where blood's required. But he said, take a lamb, a a perfect lamb, and and you need to kill that lamb. And take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorposts. Like put it on the lintel above your door. Where you walk in and he says, when the angel comes over the land, if I see the blood, I will pass over you. And it's another picture of what has to be happening in every single one of our hearts. Everybody here. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has to be applied to your heart. It must be applied to the doorposts of your heart. And you do that by faith. You do that by trusting in him and his perfect work, what he accomplished on the cross. You say, Jesus, that was enough. I trust you and I invite you to come wash me clean, to cleanse my heart from all unrighteousness. I give my life to you. That's how you put, apply the blood to your heart. So those two and a half million people, many of them took their pets from their home. The lambs, and they killed the lambs. They put it on the doorpost. And everywhere in Egypt that night, where they didn't have the blood applied to the door, their firstborn child died during the night. That set up a great freedom for them. And that, that very next day, they were told to leave the country. So they set out across the wilderness. Just soon after this, they're actually supposed to keep this Passover every year. And they still do. And just soon after the Passover, the law is given. God gives Moses the law that says, listen, here's how you have to live. And now, this actually makes things like, all of a sudden, when you have a law, people break the law. Okay? So, the Bible says that Before the law was given, there was sin in the earth, right? But it wasn't charged to anybody's account. Does that make sense? People still did wrong things, but because there was no law saying you cannot steal, it wasn't charged to anybody's account. So people could still do things that were morally wrong, but it wasn't considered against their account. Now there's a law that says you must live like this. And if you don't, there's a penalty. And many times a penalty was death. Something had to die. So somebody would, somebody would sin. The law said, don't do this. If you do, you must bring a sin offering. So throughout Israel, they killed, you know, a day, a day in Israel. There was lots of lambs being killed. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So people were making sacrifices all the time now because there was a law that said you have to live in accordance with this. I want to do a little demonstration to try to... uh, Because this all ties in with now, right? Right? With how things are now. So I have a sheep here and I have a, uh, a priest. Would you, cu- would you guys come up and help me out with this a little bit? We're going to look what a day, a day in the life at the temple would look like. So Grant's going to be the sheep and uh, Rodney is the priest. If you just back up a little bit, Grant. So if you just stay right there. All right. That's a sheep now. Okay. So um, I'm going to be the one who has sinned. Okay. I have broken the law that God has given. And the law says that there has to be the shedding of blood because there's, there's a, there's a law that's broken. Now I'm guilty. Now I'm under God's judgment and I have to do something about this. The law says I have to bring a sin offering to the temple. That's what it says in the law. So I've sinned and now I'm bringing my sheep and we're going to go to the temple and we're going to go see the priest who's going to help us out. So we we go to the temple and um, the priest is going to look at the sacrifice. The priest is actually looking. The Bible was very clear that this sacrifice had to be perfect without blemish. There couldn't be anything wrong with him. If, if, if it was a crippled lamb, it, it, it wouldn't work. If there was something wrong, God wanted the best. And he needed that. While he's doing this, I want you to see something. I want you to notice. Do you see where the priest is looking? Do you see that the priest is looking at the sacrifice? Do you notice he's not looking at me? He's not looking at me. This is an example of today. Where does God look in your life? When you have sinned, is he looking at you or is he looking at the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ? You can't take what I'm saying as a license to sin. Absolutely not. Paul says, if you believe that, you don't understand it. But just the way that the high priest is looking to see that this lamb is perfect. He's not looking at my life. I'm obviously here because I've sinned. I'm obviously here because I have a problem. And he's saying, will this sacrifice suffice? Is this sacrifice acceptable? It's an acceptable sacrifice. Then you can read this in Leviticus 4. The the person who brought the sin offering would lay their hand on the head of the sheep. And they would confess their sins. And there would be a transfer of their sin onto the sheep. And now, the sin is off me. It's placed upon an innocent lamb. And the next part, (laughs) the innocent lamb is slaughtered, is put to death, and my sin is covered. It's not completely dealt with. Thank you, my, my uh, sheep and my priest. The Bible says, Hebrews 10 says that the, the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats could never, never take care of sin. It could never wash it away. There's only one payment that could take care of, of, of sin forever that could completely wash it away. These blood sacrifices, the sacrifices in the temple, they're much like a credit card payment. They could only defer the payment, right? When you pay with a credit card, you still have to pay sometime. It just defers it to the end of the month. It just defers it to another time. So for thousands, hundreds of years, and millions of lambs died deferring, deferring the payment. It just covered sin. It didn't wash it away. It didn't completely remove it. It just put it off for another time so people could come before God. So they, now, they could, now they could approach God because their sins were hidden. They were covered. I want to bring you back to... Uh, <clears throat> How God looks at Jesus. God doesn't look to see if you're worthy. He looks at Jesus. Because on your best day, you'll never be worthy. And I remember inviting someone to church. And they said, I can't come to church. I can't. Because if I walk in the place, I don't want to be responsible for the place burning down. And what they're trying to say, you might have heard that kind of response from somebody. What they're, what they're saying is if I, if I come to a place where God is known to move, known to be, his fiery judgment will fall on me and burn the place down because, you know what? I'm so bad, I'm so evil that God would just burn me up when I walk in the building. They don't understand this thing, how Jesus became the perfect lamb. See, today, judgment isn't falling on you. God's judgment fell upon Jesus at the cross. He became that perfect sacrifice. Even Christians, even Christians, I've known Christians who fall into sin and they'll allow, they'll allow that condemnation to cause them to pull away from God, pull away from fellowship with other believers and because they feel like I can't, I have to clean up my life, I have to take care of a whole bunch of junk before I could come and approach God, before I could pray and say, Jesus, I've run away from you, I've, I've lived in sin, and I want to I wanna come back, I want to make my life right. They feel like they have to go clean up their act when that's such wrong thinking. The best thing you could ever do if you find yourself in a place of being caught in sin is run towards God as fast and as hard as you can. On your best day, you're not worthy in yourself. You can read the Bible for three hours and pray for three hours. That doesn't make you worthy to approach God. Jesus is what makes us worthy. It's all because of him. It's because he was the perfect lamb of God. And just because God is looking at Jesus doesn't mean that we can live however we feel like. That's not at all what we're saying. You know, I don't, I don't believe that God is, is um, you know, we, we, we need to live above sin. I don't think he's so against sin because it offends him. I believe it's because it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy my life. And you see when somebody would choose to live in sin, choose to walk after sin, it's much like the frog that gets put in a a pot of water and you turn the heat on, the frog never knows what's happening. That pot can boil. That frog can be dead and it never knew what happened. Hebrews says sin is deceitful. The end result of living a life of sin is ultimately unbelief. Ultimately It's unbelief. And we've seen stories of that happening. God's against sin because it'll destroy your life. It'll hurt you and everyone around you. One of the true marks of you being a believer or being a Christian is you want to please God. You have a heart. When you become a Christian, you're given a new heart. You're given new desires. And you want to please him. You want to live right. Does that mean you never sin? That'd be wonderful if that's the way it works for you. I'd love to shake your hand after the service and congratulate you if that's your testimony. John says, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He gives you a new heart, new desires. One of the story out of my life that I think of when I think of this story is I was a young boy, but I was growing up and when I trespassed at, at, at home, at our house, when I broke the rules, my dad would take me into my bedroom and he had a, A cedar stick, and he would train me. (laughs) And I thank God for it. Thank you, Dad. I love you. But this particular day, we went in the bedroom and we sat on the edge of the bed. My dad's a very loving man. Love him with all my heart. But he said, I said, Nelson, you're, you're too old for me to discipline anymore. I hope that I've done a good job and that I've trained you in the things that will direct you for your life. But your life is yours now. You can choose whether you'll live right or whether you'll live wrong. There's nothing more I can do. It's yours now. I don't know how to explain it, but in a moment I had a changed heart to where before that moment, I tried everything I could do to get around behind his back to see how far I could take the line, right? In a moment, I wanted to now please my dad. He trusts me this much. Now I want to please him. And that's the way I think of when I when when somebody comes to Christ, when somebody becomes a believer, they're given a new heart. Now it's not... How much sin can I run into? Now, what the mark of a believer is, is I want to please my Lord and my maker. That's who I am. That's what I want to do. It's one of the marks. So on your best day, you're not worthy. John 1.17 says, A law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ sacrificial lambs couldn't make the payment there was a payment that still had to be made for sin a final payment and there was a night in bethlehem and you heard this story there's a night in bethlehem a little baby was born his name was jesus and there was a when they took him to the temple here's what simon who was a man filled with the holy spirit here's what he said about him he said for my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You hear what he's saying? Bring this baby. He's prophesying. He's saying this baby is going to bring salvation to all peoples. They didn't think that way. This is obviously from the Holy Spirit because they would have just said, if it would have been Simon by himself, he would have said salvation to the Jews. He said, salvation to all peoples. And he grew up. And when he's about 30 years old, there's a young man named John the Baptist who saw him walking. And he said, look, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Basically echoing what Simon had said. There's a couple things in there. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. You got to remember when they heard the word lamb, they thought sacrifice. That's what came to their minds. It's not what automatically comes to our minds, but it's what they heard. And he prophesied he would take away the sin, not only of Israel, but of the world. And that's exactly what happened. That's where Christmas and Easter come together. Jesus stretched out his arms. I believe, this is just my personal belief, but I believe it was in the location where Abraham placed his son on the altar and then there was a substitute given. Jesus stretched out his arms. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb. He was born of a virgin. He didn't have a sin nature within him. He was perfect, flawless, and he became the sacrificial lamb that would wash away your sin, that would give you a restoration of connection with your father in heaven. That's who Jesus became. And I wanna finish with a story of a leper. Right after the, the Sermon on the Mount, you can read the story of a leper coming down. They're coming down the mountain And out of the village comes walking this leper. And he says, Jesus, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Lepers had no hope. They're doomed to die. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. But I like to think that the words are echoing around the world. And they never stop. They'll never stop until he returns. Jesus saying, I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. Be cleaned." They continue around the world. So whatever the condition, whatever you're up against... He says, I'm willing, be cleansed, be cleansed. If you just stand to your feet and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. I want everyone to close your eyes. And this is a moment between you and Jesus. No one else. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. God loves you. God loved you so much that 2,000 years ago he sent his only beloved son into the world to die and he would have done it if it would have been only you. You heard the testimonies tonight. This is what Jesus has done for others and he'll do the same for you. Right now, why don't you commit your heart to Jesus? Why don't you give your heart? If you've never said, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to cleanse away every sin Wash it away with the blood of Jesus. If you have never done that, I'm inviting you to do it right now where you stand. He'll hear you. He's always heard the honest heart, the sincere heart. He hears you now. you've been walking with the Lord but you've, you've stepped away you've walked away from him why don't you come home for Christmas why don't you say Jesus I want to come back I want to come back into a relationship with you I know sin will only destroy my life I give myself to you Jesus you'll hear that prayer the rest of us, I just want to invite you to recommit your own life and say, Jesus, thank you for the way you purchased my freedom. Thank you for being the lamb that was slain for me. Thank you for bringing peace to the world. Peace in our hearts. Lord, I want to be filled with peace, your peace. That doesn't mean that the things around you become just perfect. It means that the peace of Jesus is able to ride over every circumstance in your life. Can you stay in that place of peace? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for salvation. We worship you. We worship you. We join in with those in Revelation. I'm gonna read it. Revelation five, twelve. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We say worthy is the lamb. We're going to be singing it someday. Sing it now. Say it now. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. If you made a commitment to Jesus tonight for the first time, after the service is over, why don't you just come and talk to me about it and we'll rejoice together. But I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Christ was born. May I have a wonderful time. May your home be filled with peace and the joy of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you so much for coming. Have a good evening.